Okay, so this morning, uh, hopefully, is an exciting morning for you as it is for me. <laughs> um, I'm excited because we're starting a new sermon series where we're looking at the two letters to the Corinthians. Um, and we're going to be traveling through this for some time. And this morning is really an introduction to that. Um, I've been praying about, you know, what, where, where do we go next as a church? What do we look at? You know, which letters do we look at? Or, you know, which, which pieces of scripture do we look at? We've just finished the Sermon on the Mount series, which took a long time, but it was just awesome to go through Jesus's teachings. Uh, and this morning, I really felt to start this sermon series on looking at these two letters to the, to the church uh, in Corinth and uh, really to open up uh, all about that church, which has its problems, which we're going to talk about as we go through, but which church doesn't. Uh, but really as well, it's going to bring out all sorts of valuable um, and some difficult uh, subjects for us to talk about as a church. And I want to encourage you, like I do at the beginning of any sermon series, uh, to really take uh, interest in what it is that we're going through together as a church you know, to find time in the week to sit down with your Bible and to really go over what we're, what we're, we're reading and what we're teaching on, uh, what it is that I'm spending my time reading as well. And, you know, we really believe that the Sunday morning shouldn't be our only time that we're interacting with our Bible, that we should be doing that all week long. So I want to encourage you um, to, to really read this through together as a church. Okay, so this morning where we're starting is we're going to look at the church in Corinth. We're going to talk about where that church came from, who planted it, but also what was Corinth like as a city? What was it like as a place to live? Um, and these questions I think are good to answer because they give some context about what we're jumping into. We're jumping into a story, we're jumping into a timeline that's so far removed from our culture that it's really good to ask these questions and, and to figure out what story we're jumping into so that we better understand uh, why uh, Paul has written what he has written. So let's start by talking about Corinth. Corinth is situated in mainland Greece. It's around 80 kilometers uh, west of Athens. And in New Testament times, like uh, most of the world, it was ruled by Rome. Uh, it was a hotspot as a political power. Um, it, was, it, it was so amazing to live there that the regional gover governor even chose to live there. And it was around 110 years before this letter that, that it had been rebuilt by Julius Caesar um, in 44 BC as the Romans had pretty much destroyed the city around 100 years before that in 146 BC. Corinth was generally repopulated by freed men, people who were set free uh, from slavery from all around the Roman Empire. And this influx of outside nationalities had made Corinth this very diverse and very pluralistic culture. Um, and what we would call today, I guess, it, it became this very cosmopolitan city. It was a booming place. Uh, there were many religions that coexisted uh, uh, alongside one another. And the city had numerous uh, temples and various deities. And to be honest, I could talk about that for a long time. Corinth was extremely wealthy, uh, and it had a f there was a few reasons for that. It, it had a very strategic uh, geographical location. Um, from the city, you could access the Adriatic Sea on the, on the west, and you could access the, 
the Aegean Sea on the east and uh, it was really easy to transport goods between the two. People would often dock the boat in Corinth and transport uh, their goods across land, uh, across the other sea. And, and the reason why they would do that is they would rather go across land than go around the south of the peninsula, uh, around the south of Greek mainland, where there were strong currents, they would rather travel across the land. Sometimes they would even, uh, uh, they would even transport their entire boats across land. So you can imagine what effort that took. Um, so as you can imagine, these trade routes, being such a trade city, it became this huge, it had huge commercial prosperity. And it was increased even more by its own industries. Uh, they had bronze industries and terracotta works. They had all types of things going on. And that should give you an idea of the commercial importance in the first century. Um, and, and, to, and to illustrate that point more, it was so important commercially that actually uh, Corinth's marketplace was bigger than any marketplace in all of Rome. So it was huge. It was this huge epicenter uh, of, of goods and of, and of uh, being a port and all these different types of things going on. And we could go on and on talking about Corinth. They had all types of things going on. They had a type of, you know, games going on and uh, people would travel every couple of years to come and see these big games, almost like the Olympic Games, including other things that they would compete for, that brought all sorts of trade in as well. Um, but that just gives you some kind of idea of what it was like as a city, it, what the culture was like, what the surroundings were like, the, the, the church in Corinth was situated in, the backdrop of it. And it was around AD 50, a year after Paul's had this really long traveling for a whole year, traveling um, from Antioch all across Asia Minor and around Macedonia. Um, and he was sharing the gospel with Silas and Timothy that Paul finds himself eventually in Corinth. It's almost like the last stop on his trip before he heads back. And I would encourage you to take a look. You can read Acts chapter 18 and read about his time in Corinth, where you can read the account of Paul being in Corinth for a year and a half, preaching the gospel, establishing a church there. And, and one of the highlights that we see in Acts chapter 18 is it tells of a man called Titus and a guy called uh, Crispus. And Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. He was the Jewish ruler of the synagogue. And they both give their lives to Jesus and are baptised and they become some of the founding members of this church in Corinth. Can you imagine that? The ruler of the synagogue becoming one of the founding members of the church. So I would like to encourage you to take some time to read that this week, to just take a look at it, to just steep yourself in this story of how this church came about. Um, but it was very diverse. This church was diverse right from the beginning, both Jew and Gentile. Um, but also remembering the backdrop in which this church exists. You're diverse in terms of Jew and Gentile being in the church, but think of all the nationalities, the backdrop of the culture and the trade and the wealth and the political powerhouse that this place was. And it's also clear that this church, right at the beginning, was rich, not just materialistically, not just in terms of money and finance, but it was spiritually rich as well. There was an abundance of riches in this church. It was such a great church, an exciting church to be part of. And Paul was right there for a year and a half at the beginning of, beginning of it all. 
And this rich beginning almost made them feel invincible. You read about this church and you think, wow, what a great church that's going to be. A dynamic, diverse membership, right? And a treasure of spiritual gifts. And, this, and it was in this crossroads of this perfect geographical position. And it's almost poised as a church to have this powerful impact on the rest of, on the, rest of the world, really. It was in the perfect spot to be this outreach point, to share the gospel. But that's not where we pick up this story. That's not, not the church that we arrive at when we start reading about the church in Corinth. We pick up the story where the church has slipped away into mediocrity and chaos, to be honest. And what we're finding is that sin has pulled the church into a state of decline and on this downward slope. So we pick up this story of a church that is in not good shape at all, and, and we're going to start by just reading the first nine verses together. So 1 Corinthians 1 to 9, it says, Paul called, uh, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our, brothers, our brother Sothenus, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to, to my God always for you because the, of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way, you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so there's a lot there. There's a lot to get your mind around, right? This is the introduction to Paul's letter uh, to the church. And, uh, and in this opening passage, as I was praying about it, I was thinking about it and what God, what I felt God wanted us to say right at the beginning, what I felt God wanted us to talk about in this sermon series. And as I was preparing, I actually felt like in my life, um, you know, talking about the church and talking about the state that the church is in when we start reading this letter, I was thinking in my life, actually, I feel a sense of being united with this church in Corinth. And when you think about it, you probably do too. When we look back and we talk about the potential of this church and think of all the ways that God, uh, all the things that God could have done through them, all, all the things that God was likely going to do through them as a church, and, and, and we can find ourselves disappointed when we read the story, like, what went so wrong? Why did it, why did it go wrong? I don't know about you, but I, I can often find that that's true in my life. I, I know that God puts me in amazing situations where I can truly have an impact on people's lives, where I can truly have an impact on the lives of those around me, and yet I don't. Like, I fail I don't reach the potential that I know that God has for me. I don't live the life that I know that God is asking me to live. 
I, I, whether I'm drawn away by sin or hindered by my own insecurities or by my lack of trust or my lack of faith or if I'm overcome by fear or whatever, whatever else it might be that stops you from reaching where God has asked you to be. The truth is there's so many of us in life that find ourselves focusing on what might have been, what could have been, if we'd made a different choice. I think many of us know the song um, with the chorus, I wish that I knew what I know now when I was younger, right? Like, I wish that... I'm not going to sing it, that's just terrible. But you know the song I'm singing about. And the truth is, I think that many of us at some point or, or another have fantasized about the fact of being like in school again or being younger again or, or just, just having another chance at life, right? Just going back a few years and, and doing this bit again and trying to replay this section of my life. If only I could have another try, I would do it so much better. If only I knew what I know now and could go back and alter that. But the reality of life is you don't get another try. The reality is that we're stuck in this reality. But what I think is incredible is how Paul starts this letter, how he approaches this letter. Think about it. Despite all the things that have gone horribly wrong in this church, and we're going to get to that in weeks to come, it's gone badly wrong. Despite all of the things that he could have attacked them with right from the get-go, despite all of the things that he could have rebuked them for, Paul starts somewhere very, very different. And that is with the truth. So let's break down these truths real quick, and I think you'll understand what I'm getting at here. First, in verse 4, Paul points out that to the Corinthians, they were genuinely saved. The first thing that Paul points out to these people that had got it so wrong, they got it so wrong, was he was confident that they were saved. He was confident that the Corinthians, even though that they could never repay God, even though they could never repay him for what he had done through his son, they had received, he was confident that they had received unmerited saving grace from God. That's the first thing he points out to them. The second thing that he says is that the Corinthians were generously given inspired knowledge. And what he is saying is that they, they know the gospel of Jesus Christ. They understood it clearly and they could articulate it effectively. Paul uses this word enriched to describe their condition and he says that what he's saying is if you, you walked into a meeting, into a church meeting in Corinth in the first century, right? Like if you walked into church there, that you would be presented with a clear message from the Word of God. Like they understood it. God had given them that ability. It was a gift. And then the third thing he points out is in verse 6, Paul says that the, the Corinthians were securely established. What Paul is saying is that the, the, the testimony concerning Jesus has been confirmed in you. He's saying that the word confirmed here uh, means that it's been established in them. It's been made sure, it's been authenticated. You know, elsewhere in the New Testament, in the Greek, the word refers to these miraculous signs and wonders that God uses to confirm the gospel, uh, the gospel preached by the apostles. So, like if, like if we talked um, about earlier with Paul, he'd spent a year and a half with these guys. And what Paul's saying is, look, I can, I can honestly say 
without a doubt, I've spent a year and a half with you that your faith is authentic and it's real. It's not fake. It is authenticated. It is established in your life. It is established in your life. You are securely established in him. The fourth thing Paul points out in verse 7 is he says that the Corinthians had received, they were spiritually gifted. They, they, they had received gifts from God. And Paul is arguing that as a result of their faith, their genuine faith that is established in Christ, that they are now not lacking any spiritual gifts. He said that in the church, not one single gift is absent from your church. And although they're struggling now, they were exciting times when the church had been ex exercising those gifts properly. And finally, the, the fifth thing that he calls out as a truth to these guys, it's also in verse 7, Paul points out that the Corinthians were prophetically alert, that they exercised that spiritual gift, but also they were awaiting eagerly the revelation of the Lord. They knew without a doubt that Jesus was one day coming back and, he could, and, and, and that could happen at any moment. And they were so engaged in that urgent ministry in light of that prophetic reality. Paul knew that as, as a church they were living in anticipation that at any moment they could see Jesus face to face and they were, they were, they were eagerly awaiting that. And when you start to look at what Paul's doing here, you can be like, why have you started the letter here, Paul? Like, what, what, what are you doing? Why, why are we talking about this at the beginning? Not with, he didn't start with rebuke. He didn't start with correction. He starts with truth. And I believe that this is something that God wants to speak to us today. To each and every one of us. The truth is, is like, like in the church in Corinth, we often find ourselves in moments where we've messed up. Honestly, like, you know, think about the times in your life where you feel like, you know, you've got yourself into a hole and you just feel like you've messed up so much, you, there's no one you can share that with. And actually, even Christians, I find, Christians, even in this moment, feel so ashamed that they won't even pray about it because they feel like they can't even go to their father in heaven about it. They don't, they don't want to talk about it because they feel so ashamed. And that's a lie. We find ourselves in a place where sin has drawn us in, where fear has taken the, the place of the word of God, and we feel like we've let ourselves down, or, or, or sometimes even worse for people, they feel like they've let people that they love down. There are these moments in our lives where we wish that we'd been a better version of ourselves, where we wish we could have served God better, represented him better. But the Bible is clear. We should expect this. You will fail. The Bible's very clear. We all fail. The Bible tells us clearly that every single one of us falls short of God's standard. You don't have to read many Bible stories read about biblical heroes, and yet even the best of us fall short. They never quite cut it. But the truth is, even in this moment, even in the moment, your darkest moment, even in the worst thing you've ever done, you need to remember the truths that you are saved. By grace alone, it is freely given 
and you will never be able to repay it. That God has revealed the mystery of Christ to you. That you were established in God's kingdom. You have been adopted into His family. And His Spirit dwells within you because you have been made clean and righteous. And His gifts are available to you by His Spirit. And that one day, you will see him face to face. Paul needed the church in Corinth to remember this truth, all of these truths, before he talked about anything else. And I believe that God wants to remind you of these truths this morning. Romans 8, 37 to 39, probably some of the most famous uh, words in all of Scripture. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You will find yourself in situations where you feel lost, where you feel like you've truly failed. Even those moments where you're making, you know, you make, you make a decision or you do something. And, you know, we've all had those moments where someone calls us out and says, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? Christians aren't supposed to do that type of thing. Christians aren't supposed to talk like that. Whatever it is, and you feel so ashamed. But the truth is that these truths that Paul talks about, that Paul starts with, these biblical truths, these gospel truths, they're not dependent on what you do or what you do not do. They're not based on how you behave or how you react. These truths are based truly, truly and only on Jesus, what he has accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. They're nothing to do with you and how you behave. Now, hold on a minute, right? Because I know what you're all thinking. Well, you know, that doesn't mean we get to do what we want as Christians. And you're absolutely right. It doesn't. We've spent a lot of time talking about that at Trinity. And trust me, we're going to be talking about that in the weeks to come. We're going to get there. But the, this has to be so understood. The gospel message is the good news because it has nothing to do with you. You simply accept that Jesus has done everything. And despite how many times you fail... God promises that he will never fail you. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And I really believe that for some of you this morning, perhaps you've just grown distant with, with your father. Perhaps you haven't prayed in a long time. You just feel like you're just that bad. You're not good enough. You're, you're too dirty. God won't want to come near you. You're too far gone. You're too, you're too over the hill for God to truly accept you and to welcome you back into the family. I really believe that God wanted me to speak this to you this morning. Circumstances in your life may change, but His love remains the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. I want to finish by praying with you guys.